But I think there's a little bit of burnout in the space about when you talk about fall prevention and technology for fall prevention. A lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, things have come, people are constantly saying they've got the solve to fall, but nobody does it. And, and falls remains a persistent problem. No one's fixed it. So I think, I think as a technology company, it's important that wherever we fit in that process, that we're humble, we're listening to that, we're listening to the feedback about why those other solutions have failed so that we're not just creating you know, companion failure solutions that are all that are all destined to fail along the same lines. Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I've been a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome to this live broadcast of the Nursing Home Podcast a podcast which explains in simple speak, in plain speak, the ins and outs of the nursing home space. If you're interested in getting into the space or if you've been here for a while or if you're just curious as to what actually goes on, this is the place for you. I'm very proud to say that we're trying to do a different introduction every single time <laughs> these days. So having said that, let's jump into the meat and potatoes here. But before we do that, we're going to introduce uh, today's guest. Today we're going to be discussing falls and fall prevention um, in nursing homes. This is something which you might think that why are we talking about falls as if this is something that is supposed to happen and is something that is current and it happens all the time. You know, you would expect your mom and dad to put them in the nursing home. You expect them to stay there nice and safe. Well, for that reason, we are bringing on Caleb York. So Caleb is joining the podcast today. Caleb is a passionate leader, eager learner who possesses a unique ability to assimilate information and affect positive change. He's currently working within the healthcare system and the senior living organizations to help predict and prevent adverse events for older adults using artificial intelligence, which we will hear about. We'll get back to what that means That's specifically. That is a mouthful. <laughs> I um, got to simplify that. <laughs> I was going to say director of sales at whatever or business. <laughs> at. Caleb, welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Shmuel, for having me on. It's uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I've enjoyed uh, your other episodes. It seems like uh, a lot of interesting content, a lot of valuable content. And I feel like regardless of what the industry, every industry needs a down to earth layman speak, you know, let's get beyond the egos and, and some of the, uh, some of our self-consciousness about what we lack in knowledge and just, just talk about some of these things. So I think okay, it's cool. so first of all, thank you for saying that. Um, I think you're touching on some of our, the business plan for 2021, which I completely agree with you, uh, that this is something that can, that can and should, uh, be done in other industries as well. Before we, uh, dive too much into this. The, the listeners know a bit about me already, but they don't really know much about you. Can you let? How did you get into this stuff? Tell, tell us the short sure. version, the professional version of Caleb. Sure, sure. So um, prior to joining VirtuSense, and and I've been with these guys for a couple of years now. But prior to joining them, um, I was working in an operations role in a health system, University of Michigan Health System. Um, and my my the focus of my role is as managing. I was working midnights 
managing the three hospitals there that are there in the Ann Arbor campus, and specifically managing a bunch of um, union employees who were, whose responsibilities included terminal cleans of the operating rooms, infectious cleans of you know discharging patients, just kind of the environmental services staff. So I was I was very much in the ops side of the hospital, the health system there. And um, while I was doing that, I saw a number of things. I, I don't have an extensive and long-term experience in healthcare. It's, you know, I'm an ops guy and I've moved around between the auto industry, the health system, and now I'm in a sales role. But what I did see at the hospital, which was abundantly clear, is that healthcare is way behind in adopting technologies that other industries, according to what is helpful for their industry, obviously one technology is not pertinent across a whole bunch of industries all the time, but the automotive industry is, is brutally efficient. Healthcare is brutally inefficient. So there's all sorts of opportunities for improving efficiencies, improving technology. A lot of the things they're using seem like they're from the stone age. And what I saw at U of M was to prevent falls, they're using this technology that's noisy, these bed alarms, these pressure pads, lots of noise, lots of disruptions for patients. Patients are very agitated at night when they get woken up. They're having to use sitters in some cases to wash these patients in their rooms. So it just seemed incredibly costly and inefficient. And then I came across this AI company that was predicting and preventing those falls using a sensor. And I said, oh, there we go. That's gonna be a fantastic, that, that's needed. I can see the need. So I wasn't thinking long-term care at that point. I wasn't thinking senior living. My focus was I work in a hospital. I see the need in the hospital. And then of course I've gotten an education the last couple of years of kind of a comparative need in, in long-term care. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And that does explain it. Um, to your credit, you saw an opportunity and you jumped on it. Um, you saw something that made sense for you. There's a problem that wasn't being addressed in the right way. Yeah. Instead of just bringing the technology to your facility, you actually jumped on board the you know that actual technology and you really got behind it. So obviously there's something you believe in. But let's just yes. zoom out for a moment. Sure. Um, to someone who has not uh someone who hasn't been out of a nursing home uh and many people have not been in a nursing home recently or maybe ever so we assume uh we have we have a messed up picture of what a nursing home is from two things uh, based on ignorance and misinformation uh, unfortunately i can't put a big flag or you know you can't you know, when the media reports a story that didn't happen or or a story that did happen, we're trying to paint it as this is what's going on in every facility. We don't have the ability to censor that information, not censor, but to adjust it and see what the truth is, fact check it. Um, but this, so that's the problem. People think that on the one hand, what should be a place you could send mom or dad to, maybe one day us, and a place that you could, they can feel safe. They can be taken care of. They can live out their you know, remaining years, hopefully, in, in somewhat of an enjoyable, high quality of life type of environment. When we talk about falls in nursing homes, like to an outsider, like that's crazy. These people are old and frail as it is. And now you're telling me that fall prevention is, is even a topic of conversation that can be unnerving to some people. So let's deal with that before we, you know, let's understand the problem a little bit better uh before we come on to the solution so I, again I, i'm not sure how if you've experienced this but like what do you think is what are the reasons why uh seniors tend to fall in in nursing homes we don't find it by younger healthier people that they end up falling what's your take on that yeah, I, I think it's a whole, there, there's obviously a lot of components that go into why does somebody suffer a fall, right? Some people have 
have severe issues in their gait. They, they can't, they're, you know, either they're barely ambulatory or they're not ambulating correctly compared with, they have cognitive impairments. They may forget that they even, you know, they, 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 their body is saying you cannot do this. Their mind has no idea that their body can't do this. So they're going to keep trying to get up. They're going to try and get out of bed. They're going to try and do things that they probably shouldn't and can't, but because of that mind muscle memory from before their cognitive impairments or before some of their physical declines, they still think that they can't. There's also the issues of, you know, medication and the interactions of medication with people's conditions and medications with each other is a really another additional important component of, you know, when you have somebody who has either maybe they have a movement disorder, maybe they don't have a movement disorder, but maybe their blood pressure med medication affects their balance, you know, and there's lots of, I know physicians and, and especially high quality physicians and nurse practitioners do a pretty good job of looking at those different, those interactions between those medications and things and that person's history to try and help help mitigate that a little bit, but you can't, you know, you can't necessarily account for all of that. And then there's also environmental factors and staffing factors, right, for falls. And you have, if you, if the environment, if the environment has things, could be really even simple things like um, in the health system. This is a totally different scenario, but in the winter time, one of the things that was always a challenge for the hospital is the flooring that they chose to install at the main entrances was this kind of like tile. It got really slick when wet. And every winter, everyone would track snow into the building and ice and, and whatever else. And then it became kind of this logistical nightmare every single day that was always like top priority, high alert, like what, you know, what's going on to make sure people aren't falling. And these are just visitors or staff or pay, whoever aren't falling as they come into the building. But I, I would imagine, you know, in, in long-term care settings, lots of similar things, right, of just you know, do we need a rug here to to make sure we're catching people's snow as they're coming in? You know, are we, do we have a process for identifying some of, when a fall happens, looking at the different components of the fall and the environmental factors, the medication that, you know, and seeing how all those things maybe have contributed to what happened or what can be known. And a lot of times the challenge is you can't always know, you're never going to have all the full answer or a hundred percent clear picture of, of what happened, but you can kind of guess at it. Okay, um, so let me try to digest that because you get you gave quite a few uh, reasons of why this could happen. It, it's almost it's almost frustrating to think about because the last people you would want to fall, the people who are, you know, I have little children, thank God, and they fall from anywhere and they bounce mm -hmm. right back up. If I were to fall the same way they were to fall, um, it might not be <laughs> as simple of a procedure. Now, sure. if, if someone who's 50 years older than me would fall in the same way, you know, it, it could be debilitating. It could it could be the final blow. And I've seen that happen yep. from my administrative days. So it, it's almost it's that's why it's frustrating that of the people who is the most severe for it, they're also the highest risk for it. And there's a number yep. of factors. Let me just make sure I'm getting this. Um, but some of the factors include their medication, um, their habits. They're used to being able to walk like regular people walk and get up and go whenever they need to go they could be agitated um you know from anything that's going on um and the other thing you said is also true uh when designing buildings again this is not something that you do but when, when you're designing buildings when someone comes in you have an architect or a designer and i know there are architects and designers that listen to this podcast specifically for nursing homes without calling out any names right now um and they design something that's really pretty and really beautiful, but completely not functional for this environment. So many, you know, uh, with time, they get better at it and they understand how to 
adjust, but it's almost sometimes like a fight, you know, because it's not as pretty because you have to put these, you know, it has to be, you have to have ridges in it so that people don't slip. And that could certainly be a challenge. And then there's outside factors, right? There are things that you cannot do, um, things that you cannot control or cannot fully control. Like you said, tracking snow into the building and ice into the building um, and things like that, which can make anybody fall. Um, I don't, I think I may have told you the story if we spoke before this podcast. If not, either way, I don't think I ever said the story podcast. Did I tell you? You know what I'm going to say? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I, you told me one story, but I don't want to guess at it. Go ahead. All right, fine. But this is a good one. I don't think I ever said it on the podcast. Let me do that. Um, because um, we had, I was actually interviewing a director of nurses, right? This is the story. Um, and we were walking through the hallways and a resident fell like splat right in front of us on the floor. And I've been a nursing home administrator for a number of years. I've never had a fall like in front of me. I've had it while I was in the building and would quickly run to see what's going on because that's your opportunity to try and learn what caused it. And it happened right there. And this resident was a resident that um, I was told was supposed to wear a helmet because this resident always falls. And to me, a non-clinician, that just sounds like a horrible existence that we're, we're so accepting the fact that someone's going to fall that we're just going to put on a helmet and say, you know, whatever. It's not a kid riding a bike with a helmet just in case. I'm about walking, and we couldn't figure out a solution. And we were determined. We ended up hiring her, the phenomenal director of nurses, um, and we were determined to figure out a way to to fix that. And ultimately, long story short, ultimately she, we were able to de-helmet her by understanding that there was, if I remember correctly, there was some sort of schedule that she was used to getting out of bed, which no one took the time to understand, which makes sense. Uh, but we, you know, able to drill down, figure out it always happens during a certain time of the day. There's a reason why she gets up at this time of the day. Let's walk with her and, you know, and, and you know, um, address it instead of saying, you know, sit down, sit down, sit down, which unfortunately happens a lot in nursing homes because every time someone gets up, they might fall. Um, it definitely changes the quality of life. Um, and ultimately, we were able to de-helmet her, which is, I think, a wonderful thing. And, you know, the Department of Public Health was very happy with us, as was, you know, the residents felt empowered. But it's difficult and that's not always practical. It's not always a simple solution. So what have, what have you seen? Uh, uh, just to speak it out, I know a lot of our listeners know this, but I'll, what are some of the solutions out there already and why are they insufficient? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of categorize, put these in a couple of different categories and camps. Cause there's like everything, there's a progression of technology. There's a movement, you know, so some things are from a long time ago. Some things are a little bit more recent. And then I'll cover a couple of things that I think that are that are either here now or going to be here shortly. So the old the old kind of historic technologies, the bed, the pressure pads, the bed alarms, and there's lots of variations in there. So it's it's a little bit I'm going to kind of couch them together, but that's a pretty diverse group. You have pressure pads that just go under the patient's bottom. You have bed alarms that are that are based on pressure, bed alarms that have a sensor to catch somebody's leg swinging out of bed or, you know, you know, whatever it is. But all of these technologies have pretty have a pretty similar challenge. Statistically, and according to research, and, and probably more importantly, according to just the experience of folks that use them in long-term care and in the hospital space, they're really inaccurate. So they give lots and lots and lots of false alarms. And even when they are accurate, the question is, are they accurate soon enough to be helpful? And more often than not, they go off and, and it's only an indication that you're going to find somebody on the ground, not necessarily that you're going to prevent the fall. 
So well, I think that was that's not necessarily a horrible thing because better to catch them sooner than later. But you're right, it's right. not accomplishing the goal. Right. And and when you get at the, you know, kind of the other component of this, which I think is really important, is as a technology company, I think we're constantly, it doesn't matter what solution we're bringing to the table, we're constantly tempted to think that we are too important. And we we matter, but we are just a component. We're not solving problems. We're providing components to solve a problem. And one of the big problems with preventing falls, the way, at least from what I see, it's not technology per se. It's not necessarily all the different things that are happening with patients. It's staff. It's very, very difficult to have enough staff, especially right now for these buildings. But then when you do have staff, it's really important that those staff, that their time is being used efficiently and that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing when they're supposed to be doing. And that's going to help prevent a lot of falls. What the challenge with the old pressure pads of bed alarms is, they go off so often, you, with, with your staff, you develop, they develop a cry wolf syndrome and they don't wanna keep running to the room, which is just, just human nature. I would do the same, any of us would do the same thing with enough. You can't continue to run to the room with the same urgency, if fifty percent of the time that you go there, there's not it's it's not it's not real. Especially if it's and more so, like seventy or eighty percent of the time, right? When it's just, oh, it's just moved around, or when exactly. it's actual fall, you find that the battery wasn't changed in two weeks, and the thing is dead. And and think about it now too, because I think that was true before the pandemic. But now you're talking about running into rooms, gowning up, gowning down, going through that whole process. That is a that is a horrible waste of time. It is a terrible waste of time. I remember doing it in the hospital. We'd, we'd go into COVID, or not COVID rooms, the C. diff rooms or MRSA rooms or whatever the contract precaution was. And it's it's a it's a pain in the butt. It slows you, whatever you're trying to do, if you're going in to provide patient care, if you're going in to clean, it doesn't matter what you're going in to do, it slows you down. So having to run into rooms now only to find, you know, if you're having the door closed, you have curtains open, you can't see the patients, only to find when you get there that nothing's wrong or you're too late anyways. It's a horrible use of time. Mm -hmm. So I think there's been, it's a lot of buildings have gotten rid of the pressure pads and bed alarms. So when I speak to that, I know I'm in most cases, not all cases, but in many cases, these folks are not using them anymore anyways for all, for all of those reasons. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also a little, burn, a little bit of burnout in the space about when you talk about fall prevention and technologies for fall prevention. A lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, things have come, people are constantly saying they've got the solve to falls, but nobody does it. And, and falls remains a persistent problem. No one's fixed it. So I think I think as a technology company, it's important that wherever we fit in that process, that we're humble, we're listening to that, we're listening to the feedback about why those other solutions have failed, so that we're not just creating, you know, companion failure solutions that are all that are all destined to fail along the same lines. Okay, so you bring a very valid here. Um, if we have bed alarms, chair alarms, all these different alarms, right? So as soon as the resin moves in a certain way and starts beeping, so it, it it's common not anyone who speaks to anyone who works in a nursing home that it doesn't work. Um, and people are not going to stop, drop, and roll when they hear that alarm. Like you said, because it's almost like the background noise. You know, you hear the, you hear the cold bell lights and you hear the bed alarms. It's like almost always going and it's almost tuned out. You almost can't even hear it because uh, people are just so accustomed uh, to hearing. But the question is, there are companies that have been selling these things to nursing homes for years, maybe decades. Why haven't, they, why don't they know this? this is, I think there's only one, two possible answers. One reason could be they do know it, but as long as people are buying, they're going to sell it. And I don't know necessarily that that's a crime, 
um you know maybe the consumers you know should be a little bit more vocal maybe maybe it is a crime i don't know um but the 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 second thing which i think is more important and a little bit more subtle which is what you're kind of hinting to is could be their head is too high in the sky or in the sand or however you want to say it we they they just like you and just like others who are going to come after you this is a very serious problem like we started off this conversation with and it has not been resolved they did their research they did had conversations like we're having right now and they started with a very open mindset and they came up with the solution let's put an alarm and this alarm is going to beep and look at this is amazing they have these little beepers little things that can make these beeping sounds people are not going to fall and it sounded amazing and perhaps it worked in, in the beginning and it's very possible that at a point they got it became deaf to the obvious feedback, either in denial or refusing to act on it, which is for any innovator, this is something which is which is key. I mean, we can even zoom out of healthcare for a minute and look at the Kodaks and the Kmart's and all the other big brands that don't exist for just getting too comfortable in where they were and not innovating. Um, you know, yeah. not having the corporate agility to be able to innovate when when innovation is necessary. So. Yeah. What has yeah. been, I know you said there are different categories. What has been like another, between, before like the solution that, you, that your company offers, are there any other yeah. solutions um, that are out there right now? Not better than your yeah. company, but better than these that we mentioned. <laughs> well, there, de there definitely are. What you're talking about, it makes me think, it, it kind of it, it gave me an idea, I guess, as, as I kind of just digest the space. And I'm constantly trying to listen and learn and preferably learn from the people who are working in the buildings or running the buildings or, you know, those are the best people. I don't want to just learn from us internally. And, you know, there's a lot of self-talk when you work for a technology company and a lot of self, you know, you can pat yourself on the back repeatedly for how cool you think the solution is that you made, but it doesn't really help if you're not listening to the end user. And I, I think what I kind of wonder if what I'm seeing is, and I want to couch this by saying, I want to first kind of preface this by saying, I think this space desperately needs more reimbursement. And that's that's everyone's going to roll their eyes and say, yeah, yeah, obviously. And of course, but I think I think this space desperately for, for too long, it's been developing a reputation kind of to your point, an unfair reputation as being the, the health systems kind of haven't treated long term care very well. And I think they're realizing increasingly now that 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 the skilled buildings are valuable and important partners and affect their affect their bottom lines, affect readmissions, affect all sorts of things that they that they do care about. I think. Um, for too long, the government has kind of, and CMS in particular, has taken a standpoint and a position towards nursing homes that has been one of, of hostility. And yet, you know, and 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 nursing homes in this crisis have been kind of have continued to get beat up a little bit in, in the news and and even through CMS penalties and things, which is just beyond me. I talked to, I work with a number of the state Medicaid offices, Ohio, Mississippi, some other ones, and I talked to these folks, and they just feel terrible. For their their state nursing, it's really not the state level folks. It's the federal. It's a federal attitude towards long term care that I think has to change. And I hope does change. So let's just say pie in the sky reimbursement increases for long term care. Wait, hold on, hold on. I want to I want to hold that that thought for one second. Yeah. Uh, because what you're saying there is something that I feel about very deeply about. And over the last few conversations I've had on the podcast and off the podcast, um. It is true. The reimbursement is horrible. I think in Massachusetts, I forget the exact numbers at a point, um, the average nursing home was losing $33 a day per Medicaid patient, right? Which is ridiculous. And then you you introduce a solution that's going to help save lives, 
they simply cannot make ends meet from a business standpoint. So they have to yep. overload on Medicare patients and short-term patients and you know, go really over the top in order to stay stable and forget about turning a profit. And it's a business, yep. just like a hospital is a business. Um, and the reimbursement is hard. Uh, has changed slightly, at least here in Massachusetts, our movements to push it. But I think if you go to the core of the problem, and I hate to say this out loud, but I'm going to, we don't respect our elders sufficiently. Yes. I think that's where, where it comes from. If we really, I'm controlling myself here, <laughs> if, we, if we really cared deeply about our elders, if we really respected them to the core, we didn't look at them as used up human beings, but we looked at them as human beings who are most accomplished people on the planet because of what they've lived through. And the mm -hmm. fact that they're retired and the fact that they're past their prime makes them more val valuable, not less valuable. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. would treat them differently. And the proof is in the pudding. In, in other countries, the, the proportion of, of uh, citizens that end up in nursing homes are significantly lower. And they don't even send them to nursing homes because they keep them at home. And yeah. you know, I know from personal experience, cases like this, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't send their loved ones to homes. It is appropriate many times. Uh, and it, it, it's not a bad thing. But I think the core problem is that the government is representing yes. the value system of the country, that in, which is bereft of morality. <laughs> I'm sorry to yeah. say it the way it is. But it's, it's becoming increasingly obvious to me. And that yeah. is why, yeah, reimbursement for them, if they fall, that when you have reimbursement like that, you're saying, who cares? If there's one less, you're saying, who cares? And that's yeah. horrible. And that's a separate conversation. Okay, I feel better. That, that, certainly feel, that certainly feels like the posture during this pandemic. I mean, on, on one level, I was just talking with somebody um, at a state level about this. And, and one of the um, absurd things to me, without getting political, without, you know, portraying left or right, or I don't, you know, none of that. But if at, on a national level, if we cannot prevent the coronavirus from going across the country, we couldn't, we couldn't prevent the pandemic. We couldn't do it at our borders, whatever you want to define that national state level, couldn't do it. So how then do we expect reasonably and how are we holding long-term care to this crazy unachievable, what feels like, you know, they're getting just destroyed and lambasted for something that no one was able to do. And then on top of it, they have these folks that are listening that run, run and work in these buildings have the most vulnerable population possible to be taken care of. So it's, it's, it's the worst possible situation. And on top of that, they're dealing with staffing crises that partially was facilitated by the federal government boosting unemployment without thinking necessarily about the consequences for, or even workers' compensation and all these things that are sound good and are good things as a whole for a lot of people, but they created a labor crisis because if you can go make $600 more a week at home or your option is to go back and work in the facility and risk contracting the virus and, and do all the things that you don't want to do anyways on a day-to-day -day basis, what do you think mm -hmm. you're going to do? Of course so, you're going to stay so home. I've talking to so many operators who said this. This is horrible. They're making more money at home than they would make going to work. And now's the time when they're more desperate for staff uh, for staff than ever. Yeah, so it does come from that. But I will tell you that I take, so was, this is not just a rant. At the same time, look at all the people who are still working in long-term care. Yeah. These are selfless people, uh, the nurses, the CNAs. Yeah. And, uh, and even though owners get a bad rep, um, 
the owners themselves are coming into such a place. They can buy real estate companies. They could buy technology yeah. companies and they could all be equally profitable or more profitable maybe. And they don't have yeah. to, they're not as scrutinized, you know, by the government. Um, yeah. And people are still going into this and they're yeah. caring deeply about the people uh, that, you know, that they are with. Yeah. Uh, about the and, people, about, the, about the very vulnerable population. I was by an event. Hold that thought one second. I was by a conference here in Massachusetts and so there was a guy, the presenter, I can't remember who it was. He asked how many people in this room have walked a mile in the snow to go to work in the past year? 200 people stood up. How many people have walked two miles? You know, if, if you walk two miles, remain standing. You know, a few people sat down. If you walked five miles, remain standing. If you walk 10 miles from it standing, there were still five or six people standing. What business in the world would someone go to flip burgers and walk 10 miles in the snow? They didn't get paid a penny for it. They probably got deducted from their pay for coming late, but it doesn't matter. These are people who actually care, and they they never got any medal of honor or anything like that. So from the most caring people in the world are the ones who still remain there. Now, if we can write the, the compensation and have a regulatory compliance environment that would invite other skilled people to join there yeah it would it would be it would be an even more uh welcoming place and a lot of these problems you know yeah. wouldn't be as severe as they are right now now i know i, I interrupted really hope, you go ahead no 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 you're fine i just you're just getting me on all, all these in, these rabbit trails that i'm i'm passionate about and interested in i really hope that what happens there's a big push towards value based care value based medicine and what I would love to see, and this is kind of pie in the sky, my idealistic dream for long-term care, but I would love to see it happen, is for CMS to tie reimbursement more closely with, with quality and, and to incentivize. And when people are delivering high quality care, pay, pay the man. You know, you should pay, that, that should be services that get paid for and are paid for adequately and fairly. And if you reimburse based on that, you will drive behavior that providers will want the best. They won't, the problem with pressure pads, bed alarms and, and everything. And the reason why they've remained, I think in the space as long as they have is they're cheap. And so they're, they're a cheap solution. It's a bandaid solution. And if you want to say that you're attempting to deal with your fall problem, it's a checkbox, right? <laughs> That's exactly how it happens. You go to morning meeting, uh, Nancy fell last night. Okay. What's the intervention? So we could update the care plan. Bed alarm. Okay. Well, we used that last time. Okay. Chair alarm. <laughs> <laughs> we move the, <laughs> the walker closer to the bed, right? So exactly. Right. It, it's true. It is a checkbox. That is true. It, it needs to be, it would be so much better for patients and it would be so much better for, for our, the whole ecosystem of the space from patients to providers to even third party vendors. It would incentivize the correct behavior if reimbursement reflected and was directed more towards higher quality care versus, you know, I, I don't think that a one star on outcome should get the, get compensated the same way as a five star. And I know that there are some CMS has some has some penalties and has some things that they do to kind of balance that out. But if you more if you give people lots of money for delivering high quality care, I would imagine that all of a sudden those one stars even will have resources and have things to boost their quality scores because they'll have funds, they'll have at least something attainable that if we can get to a five star, we're, our revenue mm-hmm. is going to look like X versus yeah, we're going to be losing 30,000 a year. Right. I mean, but you're also assuming that the five-star system is accurate and that a one-star quality yeah, good, is good indeed, is indeed lower than a five-star. And in five-star buildings, where mm-hmm. for whatever reason, you know, they were still there. 
the, all right, whatever the system. We could talk about that. It's a whole separate conversation. But even good, just the amount of time I, that it takes to update, yeah. it, you know, someone could go from a five star to yeah. one star and still remain for many months as a five good star point. facility. Um, yeah, but and that I, is not my area. True. I don't know the quality scores. I don't work in buildings, and I, you know, so 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 forgive for those who are listening. Forgive my ignorance about the the rating system. All I mean is ultimately better outcomes should be rewarded and compensated accordingly. And if we can do that, then then you'll be able to, you'll have the space and the budget to invest in better technologies and services for folks. Got it. So now moving on to the next, to is there a category of fall prevention? Just getting back to, to the, yeah, sorry. To this part of the conversation. Um, <laughs> sure. We probably should talk more about the other stuff, but for, for this conversation, I see we're already doing this for a while. Um, is there another category of fall prevention techniques, which is more acceptable than what we discussed besides for what your company does? Yeah, I think the next kind of chain in, in the technological um, advancements is there's there's a number of companies now that are doing kind of camera-based monitoring. So they either do like a remote sitter program in the health system side, they'll do telesitter programs where they'll just install actual video cameras or have them on mobile cards. And then they'll have someone in a room watching a split screen of seven cameras or 10 cameras and then notifying people when they're getting up or when things are happening. But there's a version of that now, a kind of a step further, that's including some element of AI. So they're using these like video cameras to identify after someone falls that they fell, and they're notifying the staff, hey, this person fell, and then you can go back, rewind the tape, and see what happened with the fall. So the idea okay. is that you could learn, you could learn from the fall, right? Mm -hmm. So, so what do you guys do? Uh, uh, to yeah. really, I know that you guys have a system using pretty much what you discussed, uh, but to actually identify it uh, full before it's going to happen. Yeah. How does that? There's how does two, that stuff work, and how effective is it? Sure. There's two big nuances from what I just described. We intentionally don't do a video camera system, so it's an it's a it's an infrared depth sensor that's not taking image. There's no you can't tell it's a person. Like, like what you, you, you and I, how we look right now is not how look somebody looks on the depth sensor. We also place the emphasis on, we've developed an AI, we've trained an AI that's capable of predicting before they get out of bed, that their body mechanics demonstrate that they are going to be getting out of bed based on about one and a half million hours of patient data and trained, trained algorithm, things we've put the machine learning through. And so before they get out of bed, it'll notify a staff member through their endpoint device, hey, you know, this person's getting up. And they have an opportunity. We want to be, I, I see value in analyzing the fall after it happens, but I also see a lot of liability. And we we are trying to be a technology company that's preventing, predicting and preventing adverse events, not necessarily helping to clean them up after they happen. So our emphasis, we do not do the analysis after the fall. We don't want to store or save that data. I, I view that as a lot of liability for probably our partners if we were to do something like that. Instead, we send the notifications before they get up so they can get there in time to prevent the fall. And in terms of in terms of accuracy, I know I, I harped a lot on the false alarms and the importance of that. So it would be extremely hypocritical if we had a high false false alarm rate because um, it would be kind of an ironic same 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 issue. Um, mm -hmm. We currently it gets better with time, but on average per patient day, our technology operates at less than it's about 0.25 false alarms per patient day. In other words, you have a, every about five days, you have a false alarm. So, and and that that learning module gets better and better with time. The more data and information we have to feed and to train into the module, the better it gets at identifying what's the difference. What does it look like when someone throws a blanket off their bed 
they set up really quickly. They reach out, they push their food tray away, whatever it is. So uh, that number didn't make sense to me. I just don't understand that. Let's say a typical alarm, um, we would say it's uh, 20% accurate, right? Let's say a regular bed alarm, right? So that would mean that one every five times, one out of five times the resident is actually falling. So you don't completely disregard it, but 80% it's not. Yeah. In those terms, how accurate is this system? Yeah, good question. So it would be like ballpark. one every, yeah, like ballpark, like one every 25 to 30 times would there be a false alarm. So of, of like them actually getting out of so bed. Like so like 4 right, or 5% error right. as opposed to exactly. 80%. Exactly. Or even, even a little bit less than that. So even less than that. Right, okay. So right now, 95 plus percent accurate. Yeah. Right now, if you take a given seven day week on average per bed, you're going to have about one and a half false alarms per seven day week. So but in that really seven-day period, on, you'll have one and a half false alarms. Right, but but yeah. So for me, that number is hard to understand because it would depend on how many attempts there are to get out of bed. If sure. There's no attempts. Sure. So that's why I want to know for each attempt, you know, how accurate is it? It's just easier for my brain yeah. to understand it that way. So we're no, saying, that's and also just to contrast it with a regular bed alarm. So in simple terms, a regular bed alarm is there every four out of five times the resident is not falling. Uh, in your case. Yeah. Uh, probably seven out of eight times the resident is falling, or nine out of not more, like uh, 19 out of 20. Whatever, I'm this is not my specialty right now. The, the math, but the point is, almost every single time that it rings, it's going to be accurate. Now, how are the yes. how is the staff notified? Is there a big, loud ringing alarm? No, it's silent in the room. There's a voice that can be activated in the room that asks the patient not to get up, but you know, there's there's some challenges with that depending on you know how you view it as restraints and the CMS guidance on state out the state outline manual and all of that. So it can be silent, totally silent in the room, and it's it's through an Android or Apple app. So if you have any device that's capable of downloading apps um, through the Google Store, the Android Store, and the um, or the or the iOS, the Apple Store, there's an app that they can download to notify them. So iPhone, iPod, Android iPad, so whatever it is. I want to play devil's advocate for a minute. So uh, yeah. I have a Google phone and there's a gazillion notifications uh, all over the sure. place. And I, sh- I shut some of my notifications, but just because my phone buzzed, it doesn't make me jump because it could be something, but it could mean I have a podcast to do in 20 minutes and I'll get another notification sure. in 10 minutes. So how do you make sure, sure that they don't miss it? So there's two things. So we've, we've designed the app to, um, and it depends on if you let staff use their own personal devices, you're going to lose a little bit of control, right? In terms of mm-hmm. how that, how that operates. And that's just a balance of, we have partners that do that. We have partners that provide like eye touch devices or just whatever the cheapest possible devices that you can lock down. Mm-hmm. There's a whole, there's a whole another conversation about which direction you go there and why, but okay. um, in terms of, we designed it to be a push notification. So in other words, they don't have to unlock one of the challenges with apps is if you have to unlock the phone to take a look at it to see what's going on it greatly decreases user compliance or at least doing it quickly because they're going to maybe they're in patient care they don't want to go through the whole process so that they have a notification that'll have a an auditory ring that's unique but on the screen itself without actually having to unlock it they'll be able to see what room it's for so so that they can see it yeah Uh, maybe bring this back to your development team you know that when there's like a, a weather emergency alert or amber alert, you know, everyone's phones sure. start buzzing. Do you have such a thing in, your, in the app? And is that something like to override everything and just to start ma- making this noise anyway? Um, I believe we do. The only question I would have is if you put your phone on vibrate, if it would, 
I, I don't know if we have the ability to override. If you put all your notifications off, I don't know if we can override that. That feels that's, like no, a... It does have the ability to override yeah. it. It means from a technology standpoint, it's physically possible. Right? Sure. So the question is, it, yeah, you can choose. I don't know. I'm sure on Android it's probably easier than on iOS, yes. just less locked down. Yes. But I'm sure that there's a way... I don't know. I'm not sure, but maybe, maybe it's because my point is, I'm just thinking it's a from great my, question. Yeah, if it's I'm a great sitting, question. if I'm a nurse, I'm sitting at the nurse's station, I'm in PCC putting in my documentation for the day and my yeah. phone buzzes. It could be my mother calling. It could, even if it's a facility, totally. if it's a facility device that's only used for this and nothing else. Yeah. Which chances are because like we spoke earlier, facilities are so strapped for cash. They yeah. can end up using this as the staffing phone and the who knows yeah. what else. Yeah, but yeah, assuming yeah. That it's a device like almost like the call bells, right? Yeah. Call bells, they'll have a, a physical device on the nurse's station that will beep and whatever. Yeah. So if you have something like that, um, I'm just I just thought of another idea for you. Uh, that's my thinking of idea face. I didn't see what it looked like, but that that was it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I dig it, man. This is I, I we we need the ideas. We're always. It doesn't matter how far we get. We can get better. So these this is uh, all. No, uh, so another thing also that could be a possibility is if if it could immediately turn on the display and show what's going on in the room, right? So if, if it's coming from one room one hundred two A. I know it's an infrared sensor, but um, maybe, the, uh, again, I don't know if it's physically possible, but I'm just thinking if I was a nurse at the nurse's station or if I'm a CNA, I'm providing care in a different yeah. room and the thing buzzed, I may not be able to run there right away because I'm in the middle of providing care, but it could be some dignity issues, it could be other problems. But if I see someone's literally about to get really hurt, then I'm going to stop and run. And I'll, You know what's funny is we actually, so on our hospital partnerships, we, we actually do that. Um, but, part, but but part of the challenge is is there's some additional. It, you get back to cost, right? And what we're we're, we're finding out in long term care is we are the probably at least a while ago we were kind of costly. Frankly, we were too costly, and it's because we were developing really really accurate value. We were placing so much emphasis on the technology be really being really good, being really effective, being you know really delivering on outcomes. The problem is. There's a, there's a sweet spot that exists between, you know, being able to deliver the outcomes and then the cost. And what we're finding is that we have pie in the sky ideals as a technology company about what can and should happen in these rooms or what, you know, what technology they should have. But the feedback from operators has been, yeah, we'd love to have that. Can't afford that. What do you have that's, you know, what do you have that's half that cost? And so I think that's, as for us, those ideas are exactly what we want to do but we have to figure out and part of the challenge that exists for us is figure out how we can do it as inexpensively as possible within a price point that still is within reach for operators. Yeah, what I hear you. I mean, we're not going to talk pricing on the podcast, <laughs> but what what I would counter if I was a salesperson talking to an operator is yeah. I would have my research done is what is the cost of a fall to the facility? Sure. So yeah, it's a lot of money. If you're comparing it to a bed alarm, yeah, there yeah. is no budget item if you review the financials and the PL, it doesn't say um you know ai technology to stop falls and you know ten thousand dollars a month or whatever it costs um there isn't such a line item but every time that resident falls and goes back to the hospital yeah you go from seven hundred dollars a day or eight hundred dollars a day to the bed hold if they have one plus a ruined reputation with the hospital the bad customer experience um the higher light again this is a little cold but the higher likelihood 
of the person expiring sooner, yeah, uh, getting yeah. less days from a financial standpoint. It, it, yeah, you're right. It's more expensive, but look at the ROI. Now, this is all assuming that you stay true to the mission that it actually solves the problem and you have less yeah. falls. But if yeah. they could press a magic button and there will never be any falls, just to simplify the equation for them, how much would they save from that, or how much additional revenue would they get from that? From a dollars and cents standpoint, and then say, okay, so this is not going to be zero falls because there might be other yeah. factors. Uh, you know, you have the human factor; the staff have to respond to it, but it will decrease it by whatever. Or, or our other clients have already decreased it from whatever six percent to three percent. Yeah. Whatever are, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe we could quantify. Anyways, we're going way over time here, but I'm having a blast with you. So I appreciate Likewise, you coming man. on. This is this is a lot of fun. Uh, if so, but we do have to wrap up. Um, sure. So if our listeners or viewers who are watching on LinkedIn um, are interested or Facebook, if they're interested in learning more about you, they can go and find Caleb York that works at Virtue Sense on LinkedIn. But if they want to learn more sure. about your company, the product, where's the best place to send them? They can just go to virtuesense.ai and that is V-I-R-T-U-S-E-N-S-E dot A-I. Yeah, and I love that URL because a little, little marketing right there in the URL. It's slick, right? Yeah, I, I can't. I can't take credit for any of the marketing. We have a great. We have a guy, Jared Daru. I'll give him a shout out. Is a fantastic. Is a fantastic and gifted marketer. So that's all him. Okay. Well, kudos to him. Fantastic job. Anyways, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Before we let you go, I want to remind all our listeners and viewers that this episode will be available at the Nursing Home Podcast dot com, and you can head on over to the Nursing Home Podcast dot com and check out our other episodes that you've seen here streamed live on LinkedIn and on Facebook. And again, if you want to learn more about the product that we were discussing here at the end, you can head on to Caleb's company, which is virtuesense.ai, not.com. Uh, it's virtuesense.ai. If, if your company is interested in sponsoring an episode of the podcast, you can reach out to me, Shmuel Septimus, the host of the Nursing Home Podcast on LinkedIn. Send me a direct message. Best way to get a hold of me. And we can discuss those opportunities to help promote your business. But again, thank you, Caleb, for coming on the Nursing Home Podcast. Thank you for sharing um, your, your your interesting product and especially the back and forth about where this industry is going as a whole. So thank you so much. Thank you, man. This, this is a blast. I actually I had so much fun doing this. This is one of the, one of the most. This is a highlight of my week. This is very enjoyable. I, I love conversations like this. So thanks, man. Appreciate it. Awesome. Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know what an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.